Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to our latest Outsports podcast. It is, boy, it's a one week from Thanksgiving. I guess that means that we will not be joining you next week. It is also the beginning of the end of football season. I know my my college season is over. I don't have any more college games to officiate. I have at least one more high school game, playoff game in L.A., this Friday. Um, but, Jim, I know that before we dive into the meat of our conversation today, I'd like, I'm sure we'd both like to take a minute to thank the Philadelphia Eagles for making, uh, making a very special Sunday for, for Joe in Philly. Um, this past Sunday, Joe was able to go to an Eagles game uh, and meet Caleb Sturgis, the kicker, and a couple other players. Uh, and the Eagles and Representative Brian Sims made that possible. Joe is a longtime reader and supporter of Outsports and has brain cancer and has stopped treatment. And it was not an easy task getting him getting him uh, access to the game, but the Eagles and, and Brian Sims both came through. And so I know that we both like to extend a thanks, thanks to them. It was, it was neat being able to make that happen for Joe. And Jim is on mute or some other uh, form of technical difficulty that befalls us uh, on a regular basis, but uh, that's okay. Joe, um, a lot of people don't know Joe. Joe was real, really our, one of our two or three very first readers from I mean, the first weeks that we had Outsports. Uh, and, and I know a couple times that Outsports was uh, in a little bit of trouble. Um, legal trouble once um, in our very early years, and Joe was one of the people who really came in and and stepped up and and really and helped us out. And you know, when we heard that Joe had uh, decided to stop treatment and only had a few months to live, uh, it was important for for Jim and me to be able to do something for him that was um, that was special and something that would mean a lot. And and Joe's a longtime Philadelphia sports fan. He, he he has been frustrated by the Eagles at times. He has been um, he has been a big fan of the Eagles. I you know as, for as long as we can remember him. Um, but uh, but you know it was, it was neat for him to be able to go and, and for the fact that they were able to beat the Atlanta Falcons uh, at home was really great. Uh, and 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 Jim, I know that uh, I know that it meant a lot to both of us. I know that you have a long time friendship with Joe as well, and uh, so it was neat to be able to see him. I get to go to that Eagles game. Well, uh, can you hear me now? Before I start. Yeah. Hey. Okay. Um, I mean, it's it's hard to put into words how much Joe meant to Outsports when we first started. I mean, I would say, in many ways, he wrote he wrote more than you and I did probably combined for the first couple of years because yeah. we had a very very active discussion board and. If he wasn't our first member, he was among our first few members, and he would just, I mean, he was so prolific in his love of sports, um, especially all things Philadelphia, and he's just a wonderful, wonderful person, and he really helped us out when we had some some weird legal issues with a weird libel suit that's too deep, complicated to get into that we actually won, but Joe really bailed us out um, 
when we needed to be able to get a lawyer. And he's it's it's again hard to measure how much he meant to our website. And I think Outsports is what it is now because of people like Joe who were gay gay men who felt in some ways a little ostracized, maybe a bad word, but sort of, you know, estranged from the general gay community because it wasn't his focus at all on sports. And here's a guy who loved the Eagles, the Phillies, all manner of sports, and found a, a kinship on, on outsports with us. And, you know, it, it was really connected. And we had an outsports uh, kind of convention back, geez, maybe 2002. And we had to make it in Philadelphia because of people like Joe and, and Larry Felser and others. And um, so what the Eagles did for Joe was, was, was just wonderful. And, you know, uh, they, they haven't won a Super Bowl since the, since the uh, Outsports started. They get a World Series for him and uh, the, the Phillies. And, it, again, it's like, you know, I, I'm kind yeah. of babbling because I don't really know what else to say except just, you know, I love Joe and I'm so glad that what yeah. happened was happened to him with, with the Eagles was great. Well, back then, you know, Outsports focused more on uh, LGBT sports fans, and today, of course, we focus a lot more on the LGBT athletes. And it being Trans Week, uh, we wanted to have on somebody who could talk about uh, the state of access to, uh, to sports for, for trans athletes. Um, you know, it, it has been in flux over the years, and there's nobody who knows this area better than than Chris Mosier, uh, elite-level um, athlete and triathlete who's competed at national championships and world championships, uh, started transathlete.com and is currently a staff member at the You Can Play Project. Uh, so, Chris, did you get did you get your workout in this morning, are we, or are we between workouts? We're between workouts. I'm actually going for number two right after this. <laughs> God, I wish I had that determination. <laughs> I, I want your body. It's not, not fair. <laughs> Got to work for it. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm I'm trying. I just don't I just don't work hard enough. So so so, Chris. I guess the, the first thing that I wanted to ask you is just kind of you know it is it's Trans Week and 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 I know Sunday is a Trans Day of Remembrance. I wonder what those things mean to you as as a trans person and a trans athlete specifically. I have to say, you know, it's it's funny what comes on your radar and, and what you kind of miss. And, you know, being a part of the community, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm attuned to certain things. But I have to say, this is the first year that I have Trans Week actually on my radar as something that people are really talking about on social media in a way that I'm seeing more visibly. So that's really cool. But I was joking the other day, um, you know, this week is Trans Week, but it's also known as My Life. <laughs> like, Right. Every day is trans. Every week is trans week for me, um, and and so it's it's great that there's more visibility, that there's more conversations happening around trans identity and what that actually means. You know, on Sunday, I think the Trans Day of Remembrance for me is is really kind of a it, it's both a sad day and a reinvigorating day. It's a moment for us to reflect on the violence that happens in the trans community and to the trans community, and much of that violence being against trans women of color. And so really to take a look at, at what communities are being affected and how we're being impacted this, this way in the loss of life. But it's also a moment for me to say, okay, you know, like, let's roll up our sleeves. We have a lot of work to do here. And, it, you know, we have to fight on behalf of these folks who are no longer here to speak out. So it's, it's kind of a mixed emotion day for me. Uh, Chris, can you talk a bit about the – 
what changes you have seen in public attitudes or maybe sort of awareness or more understanding of trans people in, say, the last year? Because at least in terms of media coverage, it's been probably at its height. And um, have, have you noticed that as a competitor, or is it become something that's just so routine now that you're just Chris to people and you're not in, in some ways a symbol to a lot more people when you compete? Yeah, we're not quite there yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm still the trans athlete, which is great. Um, you know, if you think, just think about since the first story that you all wrote about me on Outsports, how far we've come in terms of trans coverage and and just the general understanding of this being a part of the of the everyday conversation that we have. You know, certainly in the last two years, the last year, I would say there's been a, a lot more visibility to. Uh, trans inclusion in sports, and and I'm I've been a benefactor of that certainly. You know, ESPN has been very good to me in terms of the coverage that they've given me, and and the positive coverage that they've given me in a way that pushed forward the conversation. I mean, you know, opposing naked in a magazine will do that, but <laughs> when I was in the body <laughs> issue, you know, I think there were there were media outlets that picked that up that I would never think would would be talking about uh, trans athletes, and so I think. You know, we've we've had this opportunity now to to really make this a part of the LGBT inclusion conversation, as opposed to it just being uh, lesbian or gay identified professional athletes. What is interesting, you know, yes, companies like ESPN and Nike really build their brands in part on stars, big name stars, but they also do have the ability to to elevate the profiles of people that the average American might not know. And I am curious, I wanted to ask you how those two things came about. How did, how did ESPN and Nike that had you uh, as part of their unlimited campaign, uh, specifically unlimited courage, how did those things come about? And, and uh, how did you feel when you got a call calls from ESPN and Nike that they were going to come to your world championship and they were going to put you in the body issue, they were going to wrap an entire video campaign around you? Yeah, you know, I think it's all about timing, right? Because I've wanted this for a very long time. And I think I've been farming these sort of relationships and trying to position myself in a way that puts me in a position where these opportunities come to me, you know, that I make space in my life for these opportunities to happen. And so, you know, I I will say I worked my butt off to get here and to have these opportunities. And so, you know, that was part of it. But also, um, when I was featured in ESPN in October of last year in the Being Out issue, the first thing I said to the reporter was that I wanted to be in the body issue. And it just happened that the, the editor for that issue also worked on the body issue, and they made the connection. You know, I kind of didn't think it would actually happen, but when I got the call in February to see if I was interested, you know, I was like, wow, it, it's, it's actually coming true. Um, with Nike, again, Nike was a company that I aligned myself with and have been using their products and, and wearing their stuff for a very long time when I was a kid. I wanted to get a Nike tattoo. I was, <laughs> was like, that was my that was my go-to. And I really love what they stand for in terms of the work that they've done for diversity and inclusion and awareness around the Be True campaign and some of the kickback that they gave to the LGBTQ community. And so, you know, that seemed like a great fit for me too. Um, as, as hard as I pushed to say, hey, you guys should sponsor me, um, it really was something that happened on their end that they said Chris would be a great candidate for this. So I don't know that it was so much me you know, actively pursuing them as it just happened to be the right time with the right campaign to make this happen. And I love that it was that they wanted to feature me as part of Nike, the, the full brand, 
as opposed to it just being a campaign under the umbrella of their LGBT inclusion, which to me said a lot that they really wanted to make it, you know, a, a much bigger um, a much bigger stage to share the story of a transgender athlete as opposed to just saying, yeah, this is somebody under our LGBT umbrella over here. Uh, Chris, can you talk about what you still see as the biggest misconceptions around trans athletes, especially when you differentiate it by gender? Because you know all the, the ugly stereotypes that, well, a, a trans woman is, you know, has advantages because she's, you know, really a man and all that stuff that people like Fallon Fox have gone through. But what do you think, what do you think the biggest thing people still need to know or solve the biggest misconceptions about uh, trans athletes in general? Yeah, I think you nailed it right there. That's, that's pretty much it, is that if you have a trans woman on a women's team, there are still zero men on that sports team, right? Trans women are women, trans men are men. And so, you know, I think that people have to get over this, this misconception that trans women are going to go into sports and that they're going to dominate against other women. We really have not seen that happen. You know, medical, medical experts and doctors agree that that's not going to happen after one year of cross-hormone therapy. You know, unless somebody's a spectacular athlete and, and that's the way that they were built, then we're not seeing people take uh, what they would say, quote-unquote, uh, male advantage and bring that into uh, women's sports as a trans woman. You know, and I think moving forward, what we're going to see, you know, now with the outcome of last week is a lot more conversations centered around bathrooms and locker rooms, uh, which we've been fighting for quite a long time. Um, but I think we're going to see this more in the high school level. We're going to see greater campaigns that kind of try to instill fear in the general population. And you know, we, we have a, a case in the Supreme Court coming up about a trans, a trans boy using the boys' restroom. And I think the outcome of that will also help to dictate you know, sort of what, what policies go forward so that's a, a crucial case that's coming up in the, in the Supreme Court that will impact trans students, trans athletes, and, and trans people trying to use recreational facilities, uh, gyms, and things like that. So I, I, one of the things that I'm curious about, because you are so on top of the different policies that different states have in different countries and different sports and different governing bodies, what are, what are a couple that you're looking at um, that, that are you know, either – going to be particularly difficult to tackle or change and, and make more inclusive or that you think are, are, are right around the corner and, uh, and that you maybe have been working on for a while um, and that are going to open up a little bit more? It's a great question. So I think that when we see the actual impact of the International Olympic Committee policy change, which happened as, as you broke the story in January of this year and it eliminated the need for surgery for transgender athletes, and it adjusted the hormone requirement for trans women. When we see the, all of the governing bodies that are underneath the Olympic umbrella adopt those policies, publish them on their website, that's going to be one big change because there are some of those organizations, some of those Olympic competing organizations that still say that they're using the old guidelines. You know, and if we're talking about 70 to 80 organizations, that's going to be a huge amount of change and open up a lot of, of area for trans athletes. Um, and this is, I'm talking like, when you're talking at the state level, people working towards national championships, this is, you know, those policies need to be in place for people to get access to the Olympics. Also, I think that we're going to see a really great policy coming up for trans women in women professional sports. 
And so this is going to be a groundbreaking policy that's really going to make it um, make trans inclusion and access in sports greater for trans women. And it's going to be uh, it's going to be a big story. Well, so and, and and I want just to, to to dive off of that. I know that uh, a month or two ago, um, uh, a trans person who I can't remember, Harrison Brown maybe, and the National Women's Hockey yep. League is that the person's name, mm-hmm. um, yep, came right. out as trans, and and um, and a trans woman got on your case and my case on Twitter. You know, oh, that's great that they they're because of trans men, but what about us trans women? Is the National Women's Hockey League going to be a part of that? I I know you've been working with them. Yes, they are going to have uh, a policy that uh, that is. Uh, I think I think it's going to be a leading policy that other organizations look to for inclusion. I'm really excited about it. You going to give us a timeline here, or do we go beyond the deal? You better let us know in advance. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, I, you know, I will. Let's talk more about the broader social stuff. Um, obviously, we had an election, and it's fair to say that the uh, the incoming administration is staffed with people on its transition team that is not particularly friendly to LGBT rights. Um, can you break down what executive orders the Obama administration has signed that support trans people that might literally be off the books a day or so after the election? Yeah, I don't know how quickly this is going to happen, and I actually don't know how um, you know how serious uh, the incoming administration is about doing anything what they said they were going to do. You know, and this is the case with all politicians, right? That is about we get a story to get elected, and then what you can actually pass through based on the checks and balances that are in effect in government, you know, may or may not line up with that. Um, I think there are plenty of great articles online. I think the Huffington Post just did one that was all of the things that trans people risk, you know, are at risk of losing with this incoming administration. The big one that I'm thinking of is healthcare. And, you know, think, I woke up on Wednesday going, do I even have a job anymore? Like, does my job at You Can Play even matter if we have people who are in fear of their lives, of just daily existence? You know, what, what does it matter if I can play sports? You know, and I think this was my moment of like, a, a day of crying that I was like, what is this life that I'm living now? <laughs> and what, what sort of challenges do I have ahead of me? But, you know, the, the bottom line of that was that I came around to say, you know, I think now more than ever, my job is important. Now more than ever, the work that you can play does is tremendously impactful in helping to create social change. And so I think sport is a vehicle for social change. And while it, it may seem trivial when you compare it to some of the larger things that are going on, I think it's about changing public perception and, you know, as they say, changing hearts and minds, right? But getting to know people, uh, hearing and using this platform that we have as athletes and knowing that, you know, people learn such great things about, about themselves and about each other and, and coexisting through their participation in athletics. And so I think that that's, you know, that's why we have this sort of renewed enthusiasm to kind of continue to spike even when we have things at risk like healthcare and, you know, will I be able to uh, be served in restaurants and and have access to public spaces as a trans person? Um, Will trans people lose their ability to change their documents and have that align with, with how they, you know, how they identify and and what risk will that present in traveling and and all these other things. So there's, I mean, there's a lot on the table and it remains to be seen how it all shakes out. But I think that, you know, 
organizations like you can play, the work that these other sports organizations are doing to help promote inclusion are more important than ever. Well, I do think that I've been talking to people who are obviously very worried about it and that being visible is the most important thing for all LGBT people. And um, we had two people who are going to be telling their coming out stories uh, who specifically wanted to come out after the election because they don't want to be they don't want to be invisible anymore. And they think that, you know, the only way to affect change is to let people know that, you know, actions will have consequences. And if you, if you try to do something against, you know, LGBT rights, it's not an abstract that actually might be affecting them, you know, to let their families and friends know. Absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a position of privilege. Let's acknowledge that, you know, I'm in a position where I'm perceived to be a straight white man. You know, I'm a trans man and I, and I have a trans identity. And so that puts me at risk in certain spaces, but you know, I, I have a job that's centered around inclusion, and so I'm not worried about losing my job. I have safe housing. I have a safe family relationship, you know, partnership and, and support system. And so it's fine for me to be out. And I said after the election, I resolved to be extra out. I'm going to be extra visible, extra queer, extra out there and, and, you know, public about my identity, about the issues that we're facing because I have this privilege and I'm, and I, and I'm safe in doing that. But I think the outcome of this election also makes it very dangerous for some people to come out. If you think about some of these very, very red states, these, these areas where hate speech is happening, where hate crimes are happening, because they've gone up exponentially since the last two weeks, you know, those folks don't have the privilege and opportunity maybe to come out and be so visible. So you know, it's a balance. It's, it's extra important for these athletes who can um, feel comfortable to use their voice. Now is a great time to use it, and and we can help support some of those athletes who don't have that opportunity. Well, both of these are from and, from states that went red for Donald Trump. So I mean, they are you know, including one in very rural Wisconsin. Who so so for him, it's important to kind of even be more visible because basically his entire town voted uh, you know voted uh, Republican. Yeah, that's great. That he feels comfortable. I mean, <laughs> to clarify. Well, you said uh, asked if your job would even be relevant, and of course, I, it's, it's even more relevant than ever. We know the power that sports have, and particularly inclusion in sports, and particularly inclusion in lower-level sports. You know, you get kids playing in Pee Wee League and Little League, is playing with with trans kids who are who are accepted and included uh, as, as the gender that they are. I, you know, that goes so far, not just affecting how the kids grow up thinking, but how the parents maybe shift their their thinking. So. Uh, I think I I I don't think your job with you could play is going anywhere. At least it, it it shouldn't. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and definitely at the youth level. I mean, we can impact so and uh, impact and affect so much change at that level. Like you said, with the parents, the coaches, with the other kids, and a lot of times, you know, the kids don't care. The kids don't have a problem. A lot of times, it's the parents that have a problem, and then say things that impact and influence their kids. And so I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for us to just continue to make sports evolve, you know, and, and continue to change. You know, off of the visibility piece, um, you know, something that we get flack for from, from some people on Twitter is that we'll, we'll call an athlete a gay athlete, right? Uh, and, and they'll say, why are you saying they're gay? They're just an athlete. And honestly, Chris, some, a couple times when I've written about you, I have really paused thinking, do I need to label Chris a trans athlete in this article? He, he's just he's just a do athlete, and it, it really I, it's something that I've started to think like 
to, are, are you a trans athlete anymore? Should I even write that? Or are you just, you're just another duathlete and triathlete just like everybody else looking to win a medal? And I, I'd love to know your feeling on that. Yeah, you know, I've struggled with this for a long time. And I think, you know, I've, I've always said that when I made the decision to come out in 2010 and tell my story about being a, a transgender Ironman participant, um, that was a one-time decision. That was it because as soon as I said I was a transgender athlete, I will never just be an- another athlete. You know, I think that, that adjective sticks with me. And so there are certainly times where, you know, I went through periods where I was like, can I just be another triathlete? Can I just be another do athlete here? But I think, like we said, now more than ever, I feel that it's important for me to be a transgender triathlete because I want people to see that it is possible you know, a big part of my story is the struggle that I experienced when I didn't see any other transgender athletes, any other transgender men competing against men at a high level. And so, you know, being visible, seeing that opportunity, you know, all of us want to see ourselves reflected in someone in a position of success and in a place where we want to go. And so I think that's the reason why, you know, being in the, the body issue, being in the Nike ad, you know, that level of visibility is super important for me right now because, you know, I want, I want trans, I want gender nonconforming kids, you know, athletes, people to see that it is possible to do this. And so I, I think until, until otherwise stated, continue to write trends <laughs> in your headlines about me because it's really, I mean, that visibility piece is, is really key right now. Well, it's also, I think, speaking journalistically, that we are a, a site that covers LGBT people in sports. So if we don't say basically if the person's gay, lesbian, bi, transgender, people may wonder why are we writing about who's this Chris Mosier person? Like, and so they may assume you're a gay man. You know, like I mean, it could be. Mm-hmm. I think what, mm-hmm. journalistically, we almost have to sort of, you know, if if we're a black website, just showing a picture, you can say, okay, there's a person of color in that picture. But I think we have to almost. But I know what Sid's saying, I get uncomfortable sometimes, and then I think, well, in terms of headlines and social media, people are more likely to read a story. Oh, there's a trans athlete. I'm, I'm transgender. I'm, you know, I'm also an athlete. And so I think almost the labels are still important until we get to a point in society where there are so many LGBT people in sports that it's on non-issue. But I think we still have people saying, well, why are you writing about person X until you tell them this is a gay person or a lesbian or a bisexual person, they may still wonder, like, scratch their heads. But I do understand what Sid's saying, because it sounds like at some level we're, we're um, pigeonholing a person as, you know, as a gay athlete, as, as if, you know, that, that makes him either, you know, a special category. Yeah, and I think for your website, absolutely, it makes sense. And, you know, I think I've struggled with this with other websites and other places that have written about me. Uh, a couple of years ago, I ran around the island of Manhattan, 34 and a half miles and raised a bunch of money for the Ali Forney Center in New York City, which serves LGBTQ homeless youth. And so someone wrote a story about me. The headline was transgender triathlete with a heart of gold. Like, and, you know, I was like, wait a second, in this particular case, that I didn't think that was what we needed to lead with, right? But Again, all of its visibility, all of it helps, I think, um, you know, other athletes see that they do have a place in sports. So. Well, if we ever write something that you, that you don't like, I think, and you, and you have, you have uh, you've certainly let us know when we misstepped. And I hope you continue <laughs> to. We, we, we want to do right by the whole community. We do. And, and, you know, and, and, yeah. and oftentimes we'll run things by people 
Uh, but, you know, we we aren't trans and we do have blinders on. We just don't see sometimes that there's been a mistake made. So I certainly appreciate when you kind of step up and say, well, we'll just take another look at, the, at this one. Yeah, absolutely. You can count on me continuing to do that because I think it's important and not just in a way that, you know, I'm not one of those people that just likes to tell people they're wrong. It's that you honestly, you don't know what you don't know. And so it's one of these things that when I do speeches and workshops and things like that, I always tell people, you know, I want you to ask the hard questions now because I'd rather you get the right answers and feel confident going forward than, you know, risk saying something or fear saying something and not say anything that might be wrong when you're in a place where you could be speaking about these topics. Yeah, or shrink well, away from the topic because you're afraid that's, of saying that's, something. I got I think, so, totally. so that is all the time we have this week. We have <laughs> limited to a half hour. So we could talk to Chris forever and ever, and, and I'm sure we'll have you back on. But check out Chris at transathlete.com at, uh, at You Can Play, uh, their website on, on Twitter and Facebook. Um, but that is all the time we have. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank and you. Good luck yeah, thanks, Chris. The world, the world Championship next year. Thank you, and I just made uh, 13 USA last week in triathlon. So Yay. there you go. Oh, you know, just, just it's just it's just another U.S. national team or world championship. You know, whatever, it's no big deal. It's, it's, no it's big deal. deal. Average day. <laughs> All right, Chris. Well, thank, thank you again so much, and we'll definitely have you back on to talk some more. Um, for the rest of you, uh, in, enjoy the weekend and happy Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you when it's just about December, I guess. Um, Have a great holiday.